Welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yatanis, co-producer of this podcast. In today's episode, we will continue our science series, picking up after last week's podcast on the science of habits to the science of how we learn. Well, Nico, how we learn, I think, is a great topic for today's climate. Basically, the research shows that there's a variety of factors that actually help us to acquire knowledge, biological, emotional, and environmental. So if we looked at the science, we have over 100 billion brain cells, and they're there for a reason. We are born knowing virtually nothing but we quickly acquire skills that get our needs met, like crying or getting changed. And we cry and we are hungry and we get fed, etc. We also learn basic physics, like when you see babies drop small things to learning to eventually hold them. Even having multiple languages spoken in a household, children just pick up the language simply by association as opposed to basic school learning where things are drilled into our heads via textbooks and memorization. So take, for example, one of my favorite, you know, objectifications. So when my children um, were born and were little, our pediatrician suggested when they were learning to eat pureed food or move to solids, they suggest introducing something on the sweeter side, like pears, applesauce, or sweet potatoes. And the reason this is so is that when you actually watch a child try to feed themselves for the first time, and I have many pictures that my children would be mortified if I ever showed them if we were live in terms of a a video uh, podcast, they had sweet potatoes on their eyebrows, in their hair, in their eyes, on their cheek. And think about what happens. The child needs to be able to put the spoon into the food and make it into the mouth. So as I like to say, there were many swing and a miss, but eventually if that spoon gets into the mouth, even just a little bit into the mouth, et voila, a new neural motor pattern is created because they get the actual sweetness and they immediately learn, oh, that's how I feed myself with a spoon. The sweet potato analogy reminds me of why babies love Cheerios. They are small and I believe that too develops motor skills. Or that sentimental airplane spoon motion that makes its way to virtually every baby commercial. (laughs) Yes, Nico, that's a good one. Yes, we call that fine motor skills, and that's why Cheerios are so perfect for that sort of pincher motor skill, getting a very small bit of food into the mouth. And that's also where you see children using building blocks and puzzles. We eventually learn how to hold a pencil, write, and read, and then even play sports. It's funny, my son developed very early and really from a physical standpoint, basically knocking both of his front teeth out at separate times in the park. And our pediatrician eventually just told us, take him to, you know, a big green grassy area. He could run and run and fall, but not necessarily get hurt. 
See, his body, from a physical standpoint, was developing faster than his brain and most of his peers. So while other babies were learning to crawl, he was like Godzilla, boom, 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 stomping all over them. Quite frankly, it was brutal, but he's now six foot two and a super elite athlete. So I'm actually seeing firsthand how we learn and how we can shape our learning even as we grow older. That sounds brutal that he kept falling, but I guess practice makes perfect. Beyond fine motor skills, what are some other components of learning and development? Well, we also learn tools of reason, compromise, and negotiation and hopefully the language of empathy, understanding, and cooperation. Not all learning is textbook and academic. Again, to use our current climate today with our pandemic and looking at the way school is evolving and even teachers evolving, we have to look at these skill sets, even as caregivers, of how we reinforce and introduce the idea of compromise and negotiation and of course, empathy and understanding. Learning goes beyond that basic math skill, right? Or even perhaps in college. We also have to learn friendship, parenting, and compassion. So it's more than just neurochemistry, right? We can continue to learn, and in fact, we need to. Take learning a language like we just mentioned. I learned both French and Spanish in grade school and high school, even traveling to Spain. I was nearly fluent but ask me to speak it now, and I might as well just go right back to school. Even when I went to Quebec a few years ago, I had to break out the Rosetta Stone app and relearn French because I wasn't using it on a daily basis. We only have so much hard drive available for what we use every day, and we need to basically use these skill sets to keep them fresh. Yes, and that must be why, in part, some of the apps like Duolingo have very intense notifications to keep you learning continuously and keep you motivated. Or take our current climate. Some of us are just finding that we have more time on our hands or need additional stimulation, so we are learning to cook, bake bread, and yes, even learn another language. Not to mention, the Home Depot parking lot the other day was completely full because everyone's at home doing home renovations. These new skills can add some variety to daily life when every day at home begins to feel the same. Yes, and learning is just that. And we also get a little hit of dopamine or a reward. Again, going back to eating something sweet or winning a game, whether it's in real time and soccer or maybe just a game or an app on your phone. And there's also learning by mistake too, right? So let's examine how we learn in terms of context. We also need this motivation or willingness to learn. So young children actually get very excitable when they learn new skills. And it's their job, as I tell my clients, to autonomize, to eventually say, no, I'm not going to bed. I'm not brushing my teeth. I'm not eating the peas. But again, they want that autonomy. That's motivation and willingness to learn to be independent. And as I also tell my clients, the brain basically houses what we call excitable good memories and excitable bad in the prefrontal cortex. It cannot remember every minute of every day of every year. There's simply just not enough room. So it's going to house what was excitable good so that we don't forget and seek more of it and excitable bad or negative so that we stay away from it, right? Stranger danger. And 
let's looking at that motivation, of course, which is again, during our pandemic, to continue sort of being self-referential, I can't help but to go back to my son who could not swim. It dramatically affected his mood, his school, his sleep. It basically kept him self-regulated. It was a dark time in my household, and I know for a lot of people. But then we bought him a wetsuit, and that dark cloud started to lift. I couldn't believe one day I almost went off the road when I looked in the rearview mirror, driving him to Walden Pond to swim and train with his teammate, and I finally saw his face and not the top of his head, because it was always hung low. And then take my daughter, for example, who again, I've mentioned, rides horses. She found my old 1955 Italian Vespa scooter that was, well, crashed at one point and dusty and a big cover in the back of the garage. She actually went on YouTube and basically refurbished it back to running again, even replacing the fuel line. She found a way to ride again and it was magical. That's motivation and that's drive. That's great. And it also reminds me of the, the Montessori school system, whereby I believe children learn via exploration and problem solving, directing their own learning, and also becoming less frustrated when they make mistakes and take more chances. That's true, Nico. The Montessori school system was after an Italian teacher, last name I be believe being Montessori, and it was a new learning system, right? So let's look at today's learning and how we learn in our careers. What are we motivated by? Are we motivated by getting a bad grade or a bad review at work? Or are we motivated to learn and excel and potentially make more money, a new promotion, a new title, or maybe that we're just curious? Not to mention that willingness to learn. And that is also where we may have experiences of trauma or stunted growth and learning. You know, that goes back to the Montessori uh, style where you mentioned that they were less frustrated. Children on the Montessori school system were less frustrated when they made mistakes and they were willing to take more chances because the consequences weren't so detrimental. But the good news I always say to people is that you might have experienced something along the way that either stunted or blocked your learning. But the good news is that not only therapy can help us heal and get back on track when we identify our drives and our motivations, but it's also seeking the help of a mentor, a friend, or a life coach. Do other factors like sleep and nutrition factor into our learning? Yes, that's a great point, Nico. I'm so glad you brought that up. Being an integrative health counselor, I can't help but not to mention, of course, eating nutrient-dense food. That actually helps us fuel and build not only our bodies, but our brain, right? Looking at the anti-inflammatory diet, we can reduce what we call brain fog or the term that is gaining a lot of momentum which is called grain brain it's basically looking at how when we eat a lot of sugar or refined sugar and starches it does create this sort of inflammation in our body that not only affects our whole immune system but our micro gut biome and also our brain we also mentioned it before in terms of our mental and physical states and even our mood so Eating a brain-healthy diet includes, again, basically that Mediterranean diet that we harken back to all the time. A lot of dark green leafy vegetables, uh, rich in vitamin E and antioxidants. You know, they say shop 
shop the perimeter of the store and eat a rainbow. You know, things like berries are rich in vitamin C and potassium. And all of these nutrients actually impact our cognitive abilities because they also affect our brain chemistry. Another good example would be choline, which is found in eggs, salmon, I think cod, broccoli, for sure, and that's essential for memory formation. So what's the point of all this learning if we're not going to remember it? Choline also helps us make the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, which helps with muscle movement, working memory, and our very ability to think. In fact, low levels of acetylcholine have been linked to memory issues with diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. Our listeners can go to our podcasts on Blue Zones or Food Equals Mood to find out more. And I am assuming that we need to look at a person's overall health, like diet, exercise, nutrition, and adequate sleep. Yes, Nico, think about it. Our behavior is not necessarily fixed, but is changing all the time for most of us, either through experiences or social development. And some are just simply hardwired, like my son, or innate, and the others are learned. But going back to eating well, getting adequate sleep, and any kind of movement in the form of exercise or yoga or walking is vital to learning. We just feel better. Getting a good night's sleep helps us to think clearer the next day, and we then retain the information. And of course, if we have a good night's rest, we have the energy to actually get the workout in. And of course, if we're fueled properly with nutrition and nutrient-dense food, we actually have a better workout and a better recovery, and that feels good, and then we want to do it again easy form of learning and going back to habituation from our last episode. Habituation is also a part of your book, Prescription for Change, Using Your Lifestyle as Medicine. Yes, and I also mentioned relationships. And also, going back to our podcast on the Blue Zones, we see having purpose helps us to live longer as we are constantly learning, feeling needed. That's motivation. So take cultures that have grandparents living with them and caring for their grandchildren. They wake with purpose, they wake with motivation, they're constantly moving. It really has a big drive in terms of our learning. Yes, it sounds like we learn across the lifespan. As it's said, you never stop learning. That's right, and that actually is scientific, Nico, because we see not only with brain challenges and looking at our elderly that not only are we living longer, but we're living more active lives. And even going into some of these communities where you know you can have some elder care, they have movie night, they have bridge night. I know my mother-in-law still plays bridge, even online now. It keeps her mind very, very active and it keeps all of those neurotransmitters constantly stimulated. We have to also look at what we said was either innate and learned, okay? So innate is hardwired, like my son, and then we have learned, which developed from experience. And of course, like you said, the habituation that not only I mentioned in my book, but was the first of our science series, The Science of Habits. It's a form of learning that is simply a repeated behavior or exposure to a stimulus. And we can also talk about imprinting, but that would have to be another whole episode. Imprinting sounds like a fascinating topic. And as you said last week, learned behaviors can include conditioned behaviors, 
classical conditioning and operant conditioning, if I remember correctly. Wow, Nico, you have a great memory. Yes, classical conditioning, like we mentioned, was that typical or famous, I should say, Pavlov and the dog, right? And then you had operant conditioning, which was developed by psychologist B.F. Skinner. So, for example, his rats or pigeons learn to press the lever for food or avoid a behavior if given a mild electric shock. And I use all of these types of learning in my programs because, as we can see, the science of learning is complicated and we all learn in a different way. There is an art and science to teaching and there is an art and science in learning. And lastly, looking at our current climate, I guess there is also the idea of what some researchers are calling modern learning in our remote learning culture. I know technology is thought to alter our learning patterns and attention spans, so I'm wondering if when technology intersects with traditional classroom learning, how that will change the learning and development. That's an excellent point, Nico. As a matter of fact, I was at a Harvard Addictions Conference a few years ago, and the best and the brightest present at these conferences, and they were talking about the culture with kids having tablets and phones. They gave the example of, well, certainly back in my day when you went to a restaurant, if your parents were generous enough to bring you to a restaurant, you would get a little piece of paper, which was your placemat, and some coloring crayons. And you basically needed to occupy yourself during the adult time or family time. But kids these days have little attention spans and an increased chance of getting attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is out for debate. I know they're very similar and yet different because basically they're wired for satiation, that immediate gratification. So they're not learning how to tolerate distress or tolerate having to have delayed gratification, right? That's a big problem with our current culture. And then if we look at our Zoom culture of learning, some of it's good and some of it's not so good in my opinion. So Zooming with my children's teacher I feel was far more effective than a telephone call. But having my kids Zooming all day has left them totally Zoomed out and needing for a bit of exercise and energy release, not to mention just staring at a computer all day. So again, when I was learning at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, getting my integrative health coaching certificate and my gut health certificate, it was amazing having that online learning. I could do it in my downtime, I could do it on the weekends, and I could learn at my own pace. But being at home right now, my learning through Mass General and the SMART program um, with Harvard um, Department of Psychiatry, I really needed to be in person, which I thankfully was to learn the intricate parts of the brain and the mind-body connection, not to mention yoga, tai chi, and qigong. So, you know, let's also look at Probably what you're experiencing now too, Nico, is that there's a social component of learning, right? So my kids are missing their interaction with friends and recess and play. We learn so much through play and lunch, right? What are other people eating? What am I eating? And just socializing. And again, we're also missing, you know, things like the gym, cooking, arts and crafts. But we will need to pepper this in as well as caregivers when our kids are not getting that aspect of learning and fun and play at school. So the few other things we might want to mention about learning, 
going back to maybe this either hybrid or all virtual way of learning is that we need structure, we need predictability and routine, right? So we thrive on structure. Going back to the brain is that if there is something predictable and the next day it happens, the brain gets a lot of relief because it's familiar. Remember, the brain doesn't like that unfamiliarity, it will stay away from it. So for all of us working from home or all of us helping our kids stay at home, if that's what's going on, the structure really is important and the predictability. So this assignment is due this day, school starts at this time. You know, that also has a lot to do with our routine. You know, I often kid around with my patients when I would say to them, just take something really simple like going in the shower. Put your shampoo up and to the right if you normally have it down to the left. And what will happen is the next day you jump in the shower, the water hits your face and you reach up to the right or, or down to the left depending upon where you put your shampoo. But let's say it was down to the left. So all of a sudden you've moved it. So the water hits your face, you immediately reach to where it was before. Then the next day the water hits your face and you immediately reach to where it was before. And of course you might be mumbling under your breath that it's my fault at this point because you're in a hurry, but around five or six days in what happens is the water hits your face and you will immediately reach up into the right, which is where the new place we put it. That's just the habituated brain. And remember, habituation is not necessarily learning. It's just the brain says, you do this every day. Let me just do it for you so I can free myself up for more important tasks. And then just lastly, we want to look at taking breaks, right? The brain can only take so much and only absorb so much. We say in the book, Prescription for Change, you know, we have only so many attentional units or we hit that fatigue bucket or we get ego depletion. Regardless of the vernacular, we can only take so much before we need to take a break. And of course, like you said, Nico, we also have to look at our individual learning styles. So there's a lot more that we could say in this podcast, but for the sake of the science series, I think we've given our listeners quite a bit of information of learning styles and using the habituated brain, combining psychology, biology, and neurology. Well, thank you again, Colleen. And something you touched on was routine, which is something you also mentioned on your YouTube channel. There's a video up called Psychology of Changing At-Home Routines for Families. And we created that video at the beginning of quarantine, but a lot of the information in that video is still useful today. It's a great resource to help you navigate this current climate. But as we've learned in this episode, learning has so many components to it. It is interesting to learn about the process of learning. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. To learn more about our programs and to read the book on change, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. See you next week.